0: Namaste, everyone. I'm Roshan Karyapa, and welcome to another episode of the Bharatwarta podcast. It's been a month uh, since Prime Minister Modi announced his vision of Atmanirbhar Bharat or self-reliant India, in a speech on the COVID-19-related economic package. We've spoken on a previous podcast, uh, you know, questioning some of our assumptions of the globalized world that we live in, post-COVID, and how that will play out. Today's episode forms a rather large postscript to that conversation in light of all of these recent developments. Uh, to discuss this really interesting topic, I have Ashish and Vatsa, uh, who've appeared on previous podcasts uh, uh, on the uh, Bharatvarta uh, podcast as well. Uh, hi Ashish, hi Vatsa, great to have you on the podcast. Hi Carrie. good to be back. Uh, yeah.
1: Hi Carrie. good to be back and uh, hi to Ashu. Yeah, so
0: that's uh, that's something I was going to talk about. So making his blockbuster debut on the Bharatwarta podcast, uh, we have uh, Ashutosh Mughalikar, uh, who is a legal and company secretarial uh, professional. Uh, He's fondly known as Gariboka economist by his uh, friends and fans on uh, social media. Uh, He has a way of, uh, at least what I see is that he has a way of cutting through the clutter and getting to plain facts in a very simple and understandable way. Uh, He's also launching an interesting endeavour related to uh, Atmanarbar Bharat itself. And we'd love to talk uh, more
2: about that in detail. Uh, Welcome, Ashu. Thank you so much, uh, Kari, for inviting me. Hello to the other uh, guests. And uh, hello to everyone who's listening.
0: Yeah, so uh, before we get started, you know, I mean, I just thought I'll put this out there. Uh, Just got to know a while back that uh, the actor... Uh, Sushant Singh Rajput uh, has committed suicide and he's tragically passed away. Uh, He was a damn fine actor and uh, in fact one of his latest movies as we were discussing uh, before we started recording, uh, Chichore addressed the subject of mental health uh, uh, and so on. So our condolences to his friends and family. Uh, Also another reminder to all of those who are listening uh, to prioritize their mental wellness, uh, especially in the times that we're living in right now. Uh, what's what uh, are any favorite movies of sushant's that uh, you'd like to talk about
1: uh there are a couple i've not seen a lot of his movies so i might have seen like three but two particularly stand out uh, i like the way he portrayed uh, Byomkesh Bakshi. yeah uh brilliant brilliant uh very understated kind of acting but uh, I, I really love that movie uh, the other one obviously as a as a cricket fan is uh, dhoni I, uh, I think he did that movie really well and you know you almost felt like it was dhoni who was saying some of those dialogues and you know the mannerisms yeah. and everything he picked up it, it yeah. was really nice yeah. so yeah so sad news uh, yeah and as you said uh, people should focus on uh, you know their mental health uh, If they're going through depression they should seek help yeah Ashu, you have an interesting
0: anecdote about uh, Sushant as well, right?
1: Yes.
2: Uh, Carrie, I'm not a very big movie fan. I don't watch a lot of movies, uh, except, of course, when my wife forces me to go. Uh, but I have an interesting anecdote to share uh, about uh, Sushant Singh Rajput. A uh, couple of years back, there was a huge flood uh, in Nagaland and in the, most of the northeastern states. So, during that time, uh, along with IIT Guwahati, I was coordinating some, uh, you know, support measures like providing rice, etc. to those states. And randomly, I just got a call from an unknown number and it was, and the person claimed that he was from Sushant Singh Rajput's team. And that uh, the actor wanted to talk to the CM of uh, Nagaland. Then, you know, I was... Uh, taken aback. I mean, how did he get my number, etc. But, you know, during during such times, you don't think much. So, I contacted somebody in IIT who had the contact to the OSD, etc. to the CM. He gave me the number and I just passed it on to uh, that particular phone number. And forgot about it. Couple of days later, I come to know that uh, this guy is in uh, the capital city and he's meeting the chief minister why Twitter. I came to know. And in fact, he not just went there, he even donated a crore rupees. I don't remember oh. the exact amount, but it was something in crores. And I was pretty uh, impressed. In, he literally, it, this guy went all the way there when he had over the cheque. So that's that's the thing I remember about him. Pretty good. Yeah.
0: Uh, Ashish, uh, any any favorite movies of Sushant's that you'd like to talk about?
2: You know, I I quite like the the Dhoni movie.
3: Uh, the movie also was also uh, was also about uh, uh, like a small town person. I mean, which is true of Dhoni as well as Sushant Singh Nashpur himself. But how they rose to prominence based on hard work and so on. So it's fairly yeah. inspiring. Uh, the the story as well as
0: the way he portrayed it.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, Ashish, uh, we'll continue with you uh, and dive uh, right in. Maybe you can take a step back and help us understand the larger significance of this. Uh, I'm. You know, we we spoke about a lot of things on the previous podcast, and you know, for those who haven't really heard that episode uh, that we did on the globalized world uh, coming apart, uh, talk about the significance and the impact of uh, Atmanirbhar Bharat for us.
3: Uh, Atmanirbhar Bharat is essentially a vision to say how India will become self-reliant, although it is not about closing ourselves to the world. Uh, The way I understand is that uh, PM wants to uh, uh, start, I mean, it's not a one-time thing. He wants to start a process of making India a a manufacturing destination where not not just what we are producing for ourselves, I mean, all the essential things which India typically needs and we end up importing. So we go back on that and uh, develop competencies to uh, manufacture all of that in India. Also, India becomes an exporter. Uh, in fact, in one of the addresses to the industry bodies uh, last week, uh, PM Modi actually said that very explicitly that we don't want to be big importer. We want to become. We want to gradually move towards becoming an exporter to the world. Right. So it's a it's make in India. It is make for India. It is also make for the world. Uh, the I think the I think an important distinction here is that this is not necessarily swadeshi. This is not not talking about. Uh, ownership being Indian, this is talk, being talked about, what, what we are saying is that the manufacturing has to be in India. It is made by Indians, uh, not necessarily owned by Indians, right? And I think that, that distinction is important because otherwise, some of these ideas quickly, uh, uh, rapidly kind of uh, fall in the realm of activism around uh, us versus them and then what is Indian, Who's the, uh, I mean, who's the end owner? I mean, in today's world, uh, when the supply chains are so intertwined, it really isn't possible to hundred percent say what exactly, where exactly the ownership lies, right? I think it's, it's the country where the maximum value is being added uh, to the end product. Yeah. Uh, you hold the IP to to a technology or to to some some process. I think that is a country which benefits the most, right? And I think we aspire to be that country. Now, whether that happens through Indian manufacturers uh, facilitating the process or we get foreign capital and foreign firms to come to India, I think that should be fine. Uh, to me. Uh, This is not about import substitution as much as it's about uh, us competing in the world to become the better exporter. Uh, This is not to say that we will necessarily junk out good brands because just because of a foreign and standard domestic product. So this is not about import substitution of the which then then was the state policy. Uh, I think this larger picture should also evolve. Uh, the, The understanding also should evolve in the coming months. Um I mean I think the, the window if if you really have to become a manufacturing destination, uh the window is probably a twelve to eighteen month, maybe twenty-four month window. Beyond that, once right. uh, all of this is forgotten and people will go back to uh you know, cost arbitrage and stuff like that, uh, the the window will close. So I think we we will look the concept itself might evolve and we will see what happens in the next couple of years to come.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, the factories in uh, China are back to, you know, full capacity now, right? I mean, they have their checks and balances uh, to, to ensure safety and those standards. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're back. I mean, that's a very important point that you raise. Uh, and in fact, I think Sanjeev Sanyal also articulated a similar position saying that, you know, this is not about a return to ne- Nehruvian import substitution or, you know, he called it autarkic isolationism, right? Uh, uh, Ashu, we've seen Swadeshi movements before and there is a sort of a tendency to kind of uh, get muddled in all of this, right? I mean, this one getting muddled in the uh, other movements as well. Uh, what are the strong differentiators that you notice with Atmanirbhar uh, Bharat
2: itself? Okay. So, Before I before I uh, get on to the Atmanirbhar part, uh, I would like to speak a little bit about uh, Swadeshi movement and uh, the initial reactions of commoners, uh, you know, after the Prime Minister made his speech. So many people got confused with make in India and owned by Indians. Now, uh, explaining this to the commoners is a very, very important aspect because in today's world, like Ashish sir pointed out, you know, we have FIIs, we have, you know, ownerships uh, spanning various geographies it is impossible to find a company that is purely, purely owned by Indians. We should rather be concentrating on companies that are making in India and uh, not necessarily owned by Indians. So, initial push or initial reaction from the commoners was that, you know, let us ban these mobiles, this, that, that. Even though those uh, mobile manufacturers or, you know, electronic uh, component manufacturers I have their facilities here in its, India itself. So I think little bit of communication uh, from you know, India or the politicians, etc. should have happened. And uh, that was unnecessary. And uh, coming back to the Atman in her part, I think uh, somewhere or the other we need to really, really start. Uh, I would like to share a small uh, you know, incident where uh, I personally saw or Getting exported from Kokan. Kokan region in Maharashtra. Which goes all the way to China. Then it is processed. And the final or the semi-finished goods. Come to India and then again it is used. So why can't we value add. uh, The same thing. Here in India itself. So what are the. criteria on which a company. Decides or a. You know manufacturer decides to export. The raw material and import the finished goods. So. Those blockages, those uh, impediments or hurdles, if I may say so, need to be removed so that if you make an India, yeah, you will have the same cost of manufacturing, and then you will be your goods, your output will be competitive. So I think this is one of the important aspects of uh, achieving the goal of Atmanirbhar Bharat.
0: Right. Uh, so I want to go to WhatsApp uh, and you know talk about something that uh, Arshu mentioned as well, right? Nowhere do you see that sort of supply chain efficiency. Nothing is as beautiful or as seamless as it from the world that you come from, which is the IT and outsourcing business, right? Uh, Before the guys wake up on a Monday morning, they have a whole day's work at their desk, right? So beautiful. Uh, And we've all benefited immensely from uh, 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 from that industry and from that movement as well, right? Uh, how do you view this? You know, what does Atmanirbhar Bharat mean for someone like yourself?
1: Uh, so I, I kind of agree with Ashish uh, on uh, Atmanirbhar. Uh, the thing is, uh, I I would want to bring in. So what's a podcast without a Talib reference, right? Uh, so I see Atmanirbhar uh, as a way to make you know India more anti-fragile uh, from right. where we are right now uh one thing we have seen is that uh you know this whole distributed supply chain they've they've had issues let's just put it that way they've had issues uh, with whatever we've gone through in the in the last uh, you know few months uh there are so internationalization of ideas science is good i would say so where you have you know those kind of things it's good but i think when we are talking about goods medicines uh, even some of the basic services that are to be used in a country they should be completely set up in a country and run in a country uh, in today's global work, uh, global financial world where you know all countries are intertwined banks are intertwined globally uh, it's difficult uh, to imagine you know complete 100% ownership in india But at least as far as the operations uh, and predictability of the way things run, that should stay within the country. I think that's more important uh, and that's what this whole uh, pandemic has taught us. I mean, one of the things that blew my mind as well was the fact that, you know, America could
0: not make its own PPAs and stuff, right? And it's not like rocket science. I mean, uh, but it's just, it's become so convoluted, this whole uh, uh, process as such. Uh, of, you know, every tiny thing being outsourced to 40 different places. And as you mentioned, this is rightly a step in the direction of making us anti-fragile. Uh, Ashish, what are some of the key reforms uh, that you are hoping that will make this vision a more tangible and beneficial reality?
3: So, uh, Gary, uh, if you see the announcements which have been made, there have been several uh, changes talked about in the agriculture sector. Uh, in the, in the way land and labor availability uh, is going to be there in the country between central and state governments. A lot of that has been worked out. Uh, new sectors have opened up uh, for let's say uh, space and some of the R&D activity. So there's a whole bunch of things which government has put in place right now. My sense is that the real value or real difference will come in from two aspects. One is that the uh, the the inspector raj type of setup which we have in india it's not just about reforms like uh, i mean it's not just like you can you can't just suspend reforms for 3 years and then say things will improve after that right i think it's a mindset in which the country operates around how do we enforce our regulations so the the urge to um, intervene in how companies work and then constant multi-layered bureaucracy between uh, cities states and, and and the and the union government I think that has to be simplified drastically uh, for large companies to operate in India. That is That that to me is a very critical aspect. I mean, of course, states will do their own bit to do the near-term attracting of uh, investments, but for these investments to not f- go away from India, if something can come to India, it can also leave India, right? So I think what we we'll need is a more structural uh, change in the way the whole Inspector Raj works. And uh, I'm saying that in the context of manufacturing, labor, land, those, um, so-
0: so, uh on that note, I mean, I just want to unpack it a little bit, right? Now, you know, this, this whole, I think we can do a couple of podcasts on this whole federalism and, you know, uh, st- central state power itself, right? Uh, so, how does the center ensure that something like this is, you know, finds traction in the states? I mean, anything that they can do uh, without short of being called fascist. So, uh, see, the, the actually the pandemic, uh,
3: interestingly, you interestingly mentioned that, Carrie, because the pandemic has also shown us the limits of federalism, right? Like, it is very clear that the intent of a central system may not translate to action in the same uniformity across the states. I mean, you can create any law, but uh, a law, if it's implemented differently between, say, state one and state two, it okay. kind of depends the purpose of uh, what makes India the nationally, uh, sorry, internationally attractive destination to invest in. Yeah. So I think uh, there has to be also a debate, and that was actually my second point, which is that how do we look at the administrative part of it, right? So uh, let's say there has to be debate on the concurrent lists, what states should be doing in enti- entirety versus what center should be doing in its entirety. Um, stuff like uh, judicial reforms, which is part of the general administration framework. Uh, I think contract enforcement is a weak area for us, uh, even in the end of uh, sorry ease of doing business ratings our rank has been in 160s despite the fact that we have jumped uh now to 77 uh, overall but in on that one parameter, i mean the one parameter which is holding us back is the contract enforcement the, the the judicial reforms part right so i think some of that uh has to come in at this stage i mean if it doesn't come in now it will never come in because if, if you can't really leverage a good crisis uh the 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 chance that you will do it uh, spending political capital or or administrative capital is very very remote. Yeah. So uh, this is a time I think uh, the 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 way government so so it's it's not just the so I'm not worried about the size of the government. I'm worried about the scope of the government here, right? So I mean it, it's okay for government to spend more on let's say uh, uh, human capital issues or healthcare or education. So I'm not too worried about those aspects of governance. What I'm worried about is that uh, a junior tax inspector can send a notice to someone and demand, uh, make, a, make a tax demand out of, let's say, a transaction happening on an m uh, uh, or, or an investment, an angel investment coming in. I think those are the aspects which have to be clarified and very rapidly. And secondly, the whole administrative reforms have to come in. Uh, I mean, it could be, ju- mainly judicial could also be administrative in, a, in the sense of how
2: the bureaucracy is structured in India.
0: Right. So, Ashu, just, uh, you know, continuing from what Ashish uh, said, uh, how can this be like sort of a continuing uh, uh, endeavor, you know, uh, uh, this Atmanirbhar Bharat itself, uh, the way I look at it, it's not a single policy. And that, that was Ashish's point as well, that it's not a single policy or reform. Uh, rather, it's a sort of a flavor. It's an, it's, it's an outlook, the way uh, the government looks at things uh, and formulates its policies and so on. So how can this be an
2: ongoing process? Uh, what this government has displayed in the past is, uh, for all the faults that they have, uh, the good part is that they are quick to learn from their mistakes and implement policies. Although uh, the the side thing is that you know it leads to a lot of uh, uh, rules, too many rules or too many animals, etc. Going ahead to continue the momentum, I think the central government needs to work with the states as well. Now, uh, I don't know the uh, policy angles or anything. I am talking very practical stuff. What happens is uh, we tend to look at the ease of doing uh, business rankings, etc. But a lot of work happens outside of Mumbai and Delhi. Those rankings, I am sure, take uh, take care of only those two cities and you know what efforts these two governments have undertaken. But now think about it. Even the municipal corporation can stop uh, an entire project or building up of a factory. Any random guy can just walk in and issue a notice saying that this pipe is not there. you know, this, There is an issue here. And here is a show cause notice. And he can actually give a show cause notice to a billion dollar enterprise. Uh, if you guys remember, uh, I think it was Delhi government which had sent a notice to Uber CEO or you know, CEO of a very big multinational company. Now so He's not going to come uh, and attend this. But but it is going to leave a very bad taste uh, for him. So, ongoing to continue the momentum, I think the discretionary powers of these uh, officers need to be curtailed, and, and and there has to be a surety that okay, this is the law, this is the compliance, and if I don't comply, this is the penalty. So, nowhere discretion should come, and little bit of. Objectivity in the laws will be appreciated and subjective interpretations, etc. etc. Those need to be removed, not just by the central government, but they need to work with the state governments as well. And even the local bodies, all three have to be in sync. Only then we are going to achieve even say 10% of what uh, it is we are aiming for.
0: Yeah I mean, this I never get this reading of the law, spirit of the law and things to that uh, effect, right? I mean, usually I mean, it sounds like beautiful English for the most part, right? But if it isn't plain as uh, day for the average person to understand, then there's definitely some ambiguity there, and you know, that can be uh, taken advantage of, that can be misused,, uh, etc, right? And 100 percent
2: agree with what you're saying.: I will give you: a, Gary, I will give you a simple example read the notifications issued for closure, okay, or for opening up, it was only one single page. This is what you have to do. This is what you cannot do. And look at the amount of confusion that one single page has created. You know, in many instances, we have seen people don't know, Are, is it allowed? Is it not allowed? Now, so can't they just simply draft a normal letter? If they can do it with, you know, at that level, imagine, uh, on complicated matters right as a corporate legal consultant i'm telling you uh, okay i get paid for doing all these things uh, because of the complicity. Yeah, you shouldn't be correct. yeah but then still uh, look at the whole picture yeah. i would really appreciate if things are simple yeah absolutely so what's i
0: mean listening to all of this you must feel little alienated because you are wondering like when the hell did i deal with so much of red tape ever in my life right uh, <laughs> running those uh, IT businesses and whatnot. Uh, you know, I mean, we've spoken about opportunities for tech in this post-COVID world and so on, right? Uh, what are some things that, you know, other industries can learn from uh, tech and learn to operate and sort of mimic that behavior and, you know, in, in the scope of atmanirbhar Bharat itself?
1: There, there is a few things here, okay. Uh, one is uh, we also deal with... Uh, yeah, some sort of regulation barriers and so on, but it's mostly international. It's, it's not local, right? Like stuff like visas not being issued, H1 suspended, so on. And, uh, we, we deal with it differently. Uh, yeah, in, in the sense that you try to move work to India and so on, hire locally. Uh, that's, that's how the tech industry deals with it. Uh, in terms of what other industries can learn uh i think the the thing is uh look there there is opportunity uh for tech okay even even with some of the announcements uh made here uh, as part of Atman so one of the things was uh on opening of uh, e-markets and yeah. you know there's there's clearly uh some amount of uh Work in the data space and how you can use data to actually assess borrowers. Right, that's something that that can actually happen a lot more. Uh, with with one of the things the government is trying to do is uh, uh, like allow more people to get access to credit. Right, mm. uh, as part of this, and one of the challenges in giving out loans is you don't know enough about the borrower, and that's where some that's one place where tech can come in. Uh, in, in terms of what other industries can learn, uh, there is also this aspect where uh, we try to stay in touch with what's, uh, what are like the best practices around the world uh, in terms of technology, processes, and so on, and try to incorporate it in a, in a setup that is completely unique to India, right? So the whole outsourcing model, the way it operates, it didn't exist earlier we've literally created the global delivery model and now we are making innovation work in that same model yeah. so what other industries need to do is while being innovative they have to figure out a way uh you know a, a way that works for them in their particular industry rather than just trying to borrow what you know someone in the west is doing. right right Ashu, uh, one other thing that I want to
0: ask you also is, you know, beyond, uh, let's say, uninstalling apps or, you know, boycotting certain goods and services and exchanging WhatsApp forwards to that effect, right? Uh, how, can, uh, how can this morph into a real people's movement? Uh, you know, and on that note, you could also tell us a little bit about uh, what you are doing personally
2: related to Atmanirbhar Bharat. So I will uh, explain to you like in two minutes only. Uh, firstly you can take longer okay so firstly the Swadeshi movement that had happened uh, before the independence it was against the Manchester Potter etc etc it was against something some entity or some uh, occupier but now the Atma Nirvar Bharat is for India it's a positive uh, distinction people need to understand that very important distinction second uh, thing that people need to do is uh, we have a large market most this market is not available to a, to a lot of countries so there is a demand that is there now indian manufacturers need to step up to fulfill those demands if your goods are not uh, cost effective quality wise you know safety wise etc 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 people are not going to buy those goods For which you need to approach the government, have some very clear demands from them so that your cost of capital goes down, your cost of production goes down, etc, etc. While this process is happening, people need to step up, you know, and somewhere or the other, they need to ensure that, okay, I am an Indian, this guy is manufacturing here, probably his item is say 5 rupees, 10 rupees, 50 rupees extra, costing me extra. I am okay with spending my money on it. This way, what happens is that entity gets turnover revenue. Based on that revenue, he is able to you know buy more uh, raw materials at a cheaper price. You know, you will help him in achieving the economics of scale. You will give him some money for R and D. Ensure I am not saying you know uh, buy all the goods at an extra cost, but Somewhere or the other, you know, you can budget out that, okay, every month, 2,000, 3,000 rupees from my monthly spends, I will ensure that I buy products which are made in India, the country of origin being India. Secondly, to help people who want to do this, uh, me and a few friends from Twitter, we started this website called go for and uh, many people don't know uh, what are the products in say electronic categories, FMCG, etc. which are made in India. So we tried to list all those products on this particular website. Uh, also, we gave an option to the manufacturers to list themselves. And we saw a huge spike on the uh, website, carry. Mm-hmm. We would also appreciate if people can come forward and help us to populate because all of us are working professionals. We can yeah. devote Will be X number of us. So through your channel, I uh, request you okay. to you know come forward and help us in any yeah. way that is possible.
0: That's a fantastic uh, endeavor, uh, Ashish. I mean Ashu. Uh, Ashish, you had uh, something to add to this. Yeah, can you say so a few points I want to make here? I think Ashu has uh,
3: started a very interesting debate, right? Yeah. We, uh, I think what Ashu is saying may actually be more relevant even in a B2B context and not just a B2C context. Mm. So, for example, when you are making machine or let's say a trader is buying toys from China versus not buying toys from, let's say, uh, outskirts of Bangalore, right? Like, I mean, they, they, the, the I mean, parts of Karnataka or even in the Konkan region, there are no, enough toy makers of indigenous variety, but we don't actually. I mean, toys are actually one of the biggest things uh, that that we import from from China, right? So I think it is also, it's not just about the B2C sentiment. Uh, part of the improvement can also come from a B2B setup where what uh, when, when someone wants to make a quick money, uh, can they look at an Indian option also, which by default will then promote the Indian goods uh, instead of sourcing from Guangzhou if you were to source from Channa Patna, uh, that might actually uh, help uh, some, some of the Indians, right? So I think that mindset has to change. And I actually think that a bigger impact will happen when it happens in the, in the trade slash industry circuit not right. so much the B2C variety. See, B2C uh, businesses carry, I've got, so there are two or three distinguishing things which I think people need to understand and respect. One is that, see, branding has its own advantage. I think I see a lot of uh, cynicism on social media when people say, you know, why, why is someone drinking a Coke or a Pepsi? These are foreign products. The point is, Like, oh, yeah, what is the big deal about making a Coke or a Pepsi? Of course, I mean, you know, it's, it's, really not, it's, it's nothing rocket science. I mean, someone has pretended for, a formula and they've been kind of, uh, churning uh, the drinks uh, uh you know over and over again billions of drinks a day yeah so, but but the thing is that is the power of brand there's no point in trying to be cynical about it. The fact is that the the product is the the brand is a product it's not the the drink which you are drinking right I mean bulk of it is impulse purchase so so the fact is that someone has actually invested in that branding process over hundred years
0: personally I like gold spot actually uh,
3: I mean, you should ask the Pa folks to have a better distribution then uh, in case they're still manufacturing it. I'm not even sure if they do. I don't
1: think I don't think they do yeah, I don't yeah. Think they do.
3: yeah. So, uh, so so the thing is I think and then this branding needs capital. Branding doesn't happen on its own. It's, it's a push which happens globally through a very coordinated mechanism, and I think it's easy to be cynical about it, but the fact is that capital has to be raised somewhere and and that uh, the, like in, in, the, in the Indian structure today the way we, uh, Indian capital markets are designed it is not easy to raise capital especially for for smaller players i mean if today i decide to make a competing cola i mean i am not going to raise a, a few million dollars just for my intent right it's not going to be easy for me to go to a bank and convince them that i i want to make a swadeshi cola here so i think people also focus or spend a lot of their energies in the wrong places uh, it's the 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 real gain from atmanirbhar bharat will happen when the quality of our engineering r and d the scientific mindset, I think a lot of those things need to change. And you also need to respect the quality of business. Sureshi need not mean, even Sureshi, forget Indian, but even Sureshi need not mean cheap. I mean, the Indian economy will prosper when we make super premium products. Uh, The the, challenge in in India is everything is is talked about affordability. Uh, No business can run like that, right? I mean, the factors and margins are important. People want to preserve margins. And I think that mindset shift at a retail level has to happen that you pay for goods and services, the right premium that, that you're consuming, uh, only then you will be able to see global brands coming out of India. So I think it's a, it's also a mindset change on the consumer side. Uh, hence, too, while I, mean, I know what Ashu is doing is a f- fabulous job of uh, disseminating information, I personally feel that the change can be driven better in a B2B context rather than a B2C context.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I could not agree more with everything that you've just said. Uh, Right, uh, and we're talking also in in a time when you know Geo uh, uh, has gone about this whole juggernaut of raising you know a ton of cash, right? Uh, that's another thing I want to talk to you about, uh, Ashish, which is the whole uh, India has so many consumers uh, angled to the whole thing, right? And I think Harsh uh, Harsh Gupta, our friend, mentioned on a previous podcast as well uh, that that could actually be used as a leverage for. Things like, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, foreign policy or economic policy and so on and so forth, right? Uh, because that is powerful. I mean, you know, billion plus uh, people. Uh, how can India kind of leverage that and how does that tie in with, uh, you know, everything that we've just spoken about? No, absolutely. I think uh, we have discussed
3: this point on a couple of podcasts. Yeah. India has a monopsony power here. We have a market which is big enough for any large company to succeed just be on the strength of this one market. The challenge is that <clears throat> the expectations, uh, see Indian market also behaves in a certain way, right? So for, you can get a car brand, but unless you, you, know, you know how to market it or how to create a roadside assistance, etc., the brand will not sell irrespective of how big you are globally. So there are market nuances, which also the companies need to understand. And I think some of them do and some of them fail. But the fact is that the uh, there is a series of companies, let's say from Japan, from South Korea, uh, some, I mean, in some cases from Europe and US as well, which have succeeded uh, to to crack that code in terms of what works in India. I think the uh, at a larger level, I think India also needs to be aware of uh, what is the right type of capital to attract uh, and what is the right alliances to make uh, globally, right? Which countries to rely on? I think these countries that I, I just named. I mean, US, some uh, some company countries like France, Germany. Uh, Japan, South Korea, and Australia. I think that, that that's a good alliance which can also create a foreign policy le- leverage overall because okay. these countries are either G7 or they're part of the Security Council. Uh, they have big industries already in India or they understand the Indian market, right? So I think that that larger view has to come in uh, at, at a union government level definitely. And I think it is, obviously it is being talked about. Uh, you know, even Britain took a, uh, uh, Britain made a suggestion that there should be a D10 grouping which should add three countries to the G7 block to make it, a uh, union of democracies, etc. So I think some of that thinking is happening at various levels. Right. Uh, what is not possibly, I mean, what what needs to be, uh, uh, I mean, what need what will make this successful is to have these firms when they come to India, they need to have reasonable operating uh, leverage and operational freedom in terms of how they structure their operations and people not cribbing about the foreign capital aspect. I think mean, that is that will certainly drive the change.
2: Yeah.
0: No, I mean, the point that you made earlier, right, considering that uh, uh, the value getting consumed, where the highest amount of value is generated and consumed, it can it can be distributed. And, you know, as as long as it makes sense on balance, I think we should be fine with that, right? Uh, okay, I mean, we've spoken about a variety of things associated with this. Um, I want to sort of end the podcast on an optimistic note, as we always try to do, uh, right? And just go around the table and ask you guys, uh, uh, what are three things you hope will happen as a result of this that you're really optimistic about? We can perhaps begin
2: with uh, you, Ashu. I hope that uh, Indian businesses get access to uh, cheap capital, not just capital, cheap capital uh, that will help them to reduce their uh, cost of production. Um, secondly, I sincerely hope that Atmanirbhar Bharat leads to adoption of uh, uh, products made in India, um, and then you know, the value keeps on uh, you know rotating here itself. And thirdly, uh, I sincerely hope that we are able to attract a lot of companies uh, who have concerns with regards to their intellectual properties getting stolen. In fact, I want to just add here is that IP laws in India are the strongest. In fact, even the environmental right. laws. Very important. Let's not talk about the implementation, but law-wise, they are really good. We have a very stable IP policy. So yeah. We have a lot to offer.
0: Why do that you... could also sorry, and that could also be a key differentiator from China, right?
2: Definitely. So we need to sell these uh, qualities, and I hope that you know many many companies shift their bases and come and give employment to a lot of people who are seeking uh, an avenue to use their skills and energy. They're a very young country. I think we deserve that. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's a, what are you optimistic about?
1: Uh, I'm I'm optimistic about, uh, you know, the fact that the government has taken a, a very holistic view and approach towards how they can improve the entire system. Uh, what we've seen a lot in the past is, uh, you know, it's like there is one part which is focused on and some of the other Things that need to change. There is, there is literally no reform in that area. Here, what they have done is they have looked at, so for instance, MSME as a whole, how they can help it. So that that's the really good thing. Uh, I do hope that uh, while a lot of these things do look very good on paper, uh, they actually start acting, implementing, setting up a framework, and doing the whole thing around this very quickly uh, because the time is right. Uh, you know, we are we are kind of in the middle of a crisis and as they say, you know, every crisis, there's an opportunity. So there is a big opportunity right now to uh, implement these reforms. And uh, that, that is what uh, I, I really hope happens uh, fairly quickly, say, in the next three to six months.
2: Yeah. Ashish, what about yourself? Yeah, Gary. So uh,
3: I'm optimistic about three things. One is the reduction of the workforce which is today engaged in agricultural allied activities. I think the needle has moved. I mean, I think for the first time, the governments around the country realized that you cannot have 60% of India uh, drawing their incomes from 15% of, of GDP production base. I mean, roughly, give or take a few percentage points. So, I think that uh, I think will change. Uh, eventually, it is being uh, recognized and even if it, let's say if, let's say the whole grand plan doesn't work out, i still feel that the level of industrialization in the country will go up in the next uh, few years that is one uh, secondly i am very optimistic about defense production uh, we have just changed uh, one of the uh, reforms which came in was to have 74% uh, uh, direct i mean auto fdi and 100% of course always there from in the in a defense setup but 74% auto makes it uh, auto route makes it attractive for companies to come and manufacture in india especially because we are also a big buyer so why not just make it here for India and then also export it, right? So it makes a tremendous uh, sense for companies to do that. Um, this will also help some of the Indian firms who operate in that space and then uh, they will create new jobs and helps very localized prosperity as well because uh, uh, good manufacturing, good stable manufacturing creates good uh, prosperity for the communities in which they operate, right? So this is the whole ecosystem which they'll develop around their factories of uh, which manufacture weapons, either be it in the UP industrial corridor or the TN industrial corridor or in other locations like Hyderabad, Pune, Surat, which are uh, traditionally the strongholds in, in the industry. Uh, I feel this uh, this could be a huge opportunity in the uh, coming times and I'm quite optimistic about that. The third thing which uh, I would want to be optimistic, but I'm, I'm cautious about it right now, is that the whole human capital chain which will enable this transformation, I think that uh, has to be re- redesigned, rethought of, reimagined. Uh, more focus on r&d more focus on apprenticeship uh, job uh, education which uh, has got uh, uh, has got focus on skills development uh, and to be done for all i mean it's not about it has to be done from a much more elementary school level right i think that level of human capital shift uh, which is which is very uh, uh, oriented towards uh, r&d stem I think these are important things which need to happen. I I said it's this is more of a wish rather than a uh, point of optimism, but right. hopefully uh, the the backward integration of the of, of the of the entire chain of uh, changes will happen at some point.
0: Yeah. No, I personally am most uh, excited about you know how the startup ecosystem itself is going to mature. Uh, right. Just last week, I mean there was this phenomenal story of uh, Postman which uh, raised about 150 million at a two billion dollar valuation. Uh, and the number that people uh, should be excited about is the fact that they have 10 million developer users, uh, just for perspective, GitHub, which is a Microsoft company, has about 40 million uh, uh, developer users and got to that number in twice the amount of time, right? Uh, so the the fact that, you know, we're able to build these quality products for the world um, out of Bangalore, out of, uh, you know, Delhi, Bombay, and all of these other places, uh, is also like, you know, coming full circle, right? Because even up until like four, five years back, there was always this perennial debate of, hey, I mean, we, we have all of these services, IT services, uh, you know, can we really build a product company out of India? And, you know, what about IP creation and so on, so so, uh, so forth. But that has comfortably been laid to rest. And uh, considering that uh, I think a whole lot of venture money will, will be coming in as well. Uh, the possibilities, uh, on. Uh, you know, in the lens of, you know, build for India, build in India uh, is uh, phenomenal, is uh, really, really phenomenal. So yeah, on that uh, super optimistic note, uh, uh, we'd like to end the podcast here. Thank you so much, uh, you guys, uh, uh, for joining uh, Vatsa, uh, Ashish, Ashu. Uh, it's, it was a really insightful conversation. And I'm sure, you know, you've given our listeners plenty to think about. Uh, Thanks everyone who tuned in to listen. Uh, This podcast uh, will be live on all popular platforms like Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, of course, YouTube and a bunch of others. Uh, Do listen, uh, subscribe and share with your friends and family. Uh, Until next time, please stay safe and uh, Jai Hind.